Friends round table. Glad you're here. Joe Barlow. Said last week by this time I would be on a plane headed to Oregon. Well, some guys are in Vegas right now fixing to catch another leg going to San Francisco. Ricky Davis, Steel Deemer, and my son Cole are flying out at 1 o'clock. So what better place to be than here on Thursday morning? Guys, uh, update on Ron and the coffee team. Surgery was successful. Uh, he was discharged Friday of last week. Uh, Tony and a couple of the guys were in touch with him on Tuesday talking about trying to maybe get together for lunch. Uh, and he's still recovering. Keep him in your prayers, if you would, please. He's got a long battle ahead of him uh, dealing with pancreatic cancer and issues that may come with that. We're praying that his surgery was successful. Oh, we've got a guest speaker this morning, somebody that I do love, Ben Derrick. Ben is going to be here for three weeks, filling in for Phil while uh, – we're doing the Rogue River in Oregon, and then he does an annual trip to Tennessee. That'll be the third week. Ben um, is going to share some stuff with us, similar to the series we're working in. I'm going to challenge him a little bit by reading a scripture that popped up this morning. If you would follow along with me, it's 2 Corinthians. The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog -dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. We don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have, never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools, <clears throat> excuse me, we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. I think that's what this group is about. Maturity, wholeness. Phil's been trying to coach us in that direction for years. Where do you go to hear truth? We have guest speakers like Ben that come in, and a requirement is to know the truth, to be able to share with us and not mislead us, misguide us, but direct us to Christ, the one who sets us straight with God, who bridges the gap that Satan caused the fall of Adam and Eve. We open us with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity of gathering here. Lord, I thank you for Ben and his sharing, his teaching, his coaching this morning. Anoint him, be with him, use him to speak to us. Lord, I pray for safe travels for the group headed to Oregon this morning and for those that will be traveling tomorrow. I also pray for our friend Ron. Lord, may your hand of mercy be upon him and peace and healing. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you guys for making the effort to be here so early. Um, we're going to start off this morning uh, with a video with a song a little bit different, not quite as masculine and bluesy. Uh, Phil and I had a conversation. He told me to make it a little more feminine. So, uh, <laughs> kidding, kidding. He would do that. He would do that, yep. So, I'd like for you to take this in. Here's my suggestion, though. It's going to be really easy for you to check out and start thinking about all the crap you have to do after this is over. Don't do that. Stay in the moment. 
be in the moment, take in the lyrics, listen to the music, and also, as you're doing that, pay attention to where it takes your heart. Deal? Deal. All right, let's take this in.
That feeling that you're having, man, by the way, we do have those and they motivate our behavior. That feeling that you're having, especially if you've been broken and restored, that is a statement of healing, isn't it? I, I'm, not, I'm not where I'm going and where other people will judge that I should be, but let me just, let me tell you for a minute, I'm not where I used to be. And I'd like to say over this community, that's enough. It's enough that you aren't where you used to be. It's not, not enough that you aren't where you're supposed to be. And that's a big difference when it comes to men's roundtable, when it comes to deer camp, when it comes to the hangar, when it comes to the movement of God inside of central Mississippi and beyond. We live in hopeful times inside of this community, and that's quite a contrast to what's going on around us, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But until we start living that way out there, who's going to notice? So let's start with three questions, right? Because we've got to honor tradition. You guys ready for that? I know you got journals and pens ready to roll. I love questions. I've been plaguing people all around town with three questions before I start any sort of teaching. It's driving them crazy. Over at First uh, Methodist in Madison, out in Raymond. Very confusing, but it's how we do things because until you start reflecting, anything that I say is going to go straight around you, isn't it? So let's go to that introspective place. Question number one, right on the nose. Are you a long way from where you were? Just going to give it 60 seconds. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Ouch. That's kind of that's a tough one, isn't it? We, we have to recognize as men, it's very possible to grow up chronologically, but not to grow up in character. There's a lot of that going on around us these days. And those type of men are the ones that seize power and manipulate other men to stay in power the American political system. All right, question number two, you guys ready? Yep. In the mode now? Okay. How good have you been at holding on to hope? It was a hopeful song. Sometimes it's you that has to cheer you on.
getting better at questions. Listen, listen to Phil, to be honest. I'll tell you what, I, I'd love for you just to write this down in your journal, but more importantly, we'll get to this later, just write it down in that internal place. Look, in light of everything that the Bible's saying, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And that's a big message, gentlemen. And I, I'm just telling you that the enemy is loading shame into your life because you probably don't really believe that. You will become shame resilient if you just get into Romans 8.1 and remind yourself of that in those moments where the people around you, especially the people that have false expectations of you because of your false self, reminds you that you failed and you've fallen short. Guess what? You've joined humanity. So have they. The difference about you is you can say, I don't have condemnation over that. Can I grieve it? Yes. Will I suffer the consequences? Absolutely, like a grown man. But I won't be condemned. Makes a big difference. All right, question three. This is a big one, really big one. By the way, I've been looking forward to this all week. I'm in such a good mood right now. I'm enjoying it. All right, question three. What do you do with your temptation to go back? Everybody's got it. What do you do with it? What's your pattern with the pull back to your sinful nature? If I were to observe you after that moment of temptation over the course of about a month, could I predict what you're going to do next? See, the enemy has been a student of humanity for much longer than you've been alive, and that, that goes even for Joe. Okay? Shade thrown. It's a new joke we got rolling. All right? Don't you think Although there's never been anyone just like you, there's been someone similar to you in your brokenness and your pain. And don't you think he's got a Rolodex full of what you're probably going to do next? He doesn't know your heart, but he's definitely observed your life way more closely than you have. Because we've bought the live the American 24-hour cycle. How much money did I make today and who dies with the biggest house? He knows better. Philippians chapter 3, we won't read the whole thing, but basically the idea is I keep pressing on forward. I keep moving forward. If your imagination and your fantasy are taking you backward, then the bit is in your mouth. And which direction are you going to go? I mean, look, I just got to tell you, I got to be careful with some 90s music playing on Spotify. That takes me backwards. And I enjoy it for a minute. And then I remember the shame. And then he's got me. All right. I was just getting us ready for the morning. You guys ready for this? Yep, yep. Here's where I'm, ho I'm hoping you're going to learn something new today and be fascinated in a new way by the activity of Jesus Christ while he was on earth. He is the main motivator. Here's the point I'm kind of driving this morning. In order for us to be men, we must have an example to follow, if not many examples to follow. By design, we by design, must be able to see what it looks like, what masculinity looks like played out in real life. That's the kind of creatures that we are. You can teach me about something cognitively, but when you show me, then I understand. Make sense to you guys? Ancient Jewish culture was all about this. They put it 
all through their sacred text. And as a result, our sacred text, let me just read this for you. Deuteronomy chapter 6. These words that I command to you today shall be in your heart. Notice that location. I would propose to you that the Western church is doing a whole lot of ministry to the mind. We've left the heart behind. It's broken. It's crushed. It's bruised. It's full of shame and judgment. And we file into rooms. And trust me, I did this for 10 years. I can give a great speech. You know it. And we preach to the mind, ignoring the heart. There's a word we have for that. And I don't know how many of you are Baptists, but we, there's a word we have for that in Baptist circles. You know what it is? Fine. How you doing? Fine. How are you? Fine. Like, man, that's funny. My parents both just said they're fine. They almost murdered each other in the car on the way to church today. Right? No, nobody's fine. <laughs> right? So, your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you stand up. Bind them as a sign on your hand that shall be as frontless between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, this foreshadows us living under a new covenant that doesn't reside on tablets, but resides in our inmost being. Deuteronomy, all the way back there, was saying, look, if you think all this just exists externally, notice how shocking this is going to be. Externally, as a set of rules meaning where you go on Sunday morning or who you vote for or what type of radio station you listen to. If this is what you're trapped in, then you've missed the point. I want, God says, I want you to write these things in an inward place, in your heart, so that they guide and dictate not just the religious things that you do, but everything that you do. That's a big statement, isn't it? Isn't it crazy how revolutionary that is today? Some of us, we labored for so long under religious activity with a sick heart, and here's the truth. It didn't work. And we feel a lot of judgment over that, don't we, men? God's doing something different in our day. Thank God God's doing something different in our day. That's, that's really good news. The generations of my father did not have this kind of teaching over the Bible. It was very duty-bound. I'll never forget the day that my grandfather, a pastor, by the way, did not allow me to fish with him and his father, his son, my father, because it was Sunday. A couple years later, he died of a heart attack, weeding his front yard. I never got that day back. But man, we honored God because it was Sabbath. That stings. I've been talking a lot about that day lately. It's bothering me. Because all we had to do was go fishing. And I think God would have been there. He was at the pond. And we missed him because we were sitting in the living room. So here we go. Moving on into this idea. We live under the banner of the new covenant. So today what I'd like to do as we're investigating how to be men, because that's, that's really primarily what we do here, isn't it? As we're investigating how to be men, we're going to look at Jesus as a mentor. We're going to watch how Jesus does it. And then we're going to take some of those principles and we're going to start doing things like Jesus as we leave here. Deal? All right, I feel like I'm losing you a little bit today. It's early. I need Rowan to say something controversial and, <laughs> and kind of half true. That wakes the room up. All right, here's a big statement. This one will sting a little bit. It's not meant to judge. It's just meant to get you in the right frame of mind. If you really want to know how much God is in a man, 
You'll watch how he treats women. If you really want to know how much God is actually in a man, you will not watch how many committees he joins or how much money he gives or how publicly he prays or all those things. You will zoom in and you will watch how he treats the woman. So we're going to drop in in John chapter 8. This might actually be short today. No promises. Don't get your hopes up. But we're going to zoom in on this one little moment inside of John chapter 8 that has fascinated me since the beginning of my days walking with Jesus, and I still can't let go of this story. Starts this way. We're just going to read through and just kind of do what's called exegete. We're going to read a little bit of the Bible, and then we're going to talk about it. And I would encourage you, as we're talking about these verses, if you have something to say, speak up. Find your voice in here this morning. John chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. Now, pay attention to this. Already the story is setting Jesus up as a holy figure. He's going between two holy places. The Mount of Olives right now contains over 100,000 graves because the Jewish people believe when the dead in Christ come back to life, that's where that's going to happen. The Mount of Olives in the Old Testament is a very, very sacred place. We miss that because we're Americans, right? But it's true. Jesus goes from that holy place to the next holy place would be where the presence of God is essentially contained. So the story is telling us this person who's going back and forth between these two holy places, he belongs there. And early in the morning, man, we know what that feels like. By the way, I'm, we're starting a petition in the back for this to move to 10 a.m. instead of 6.30. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple and people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. He takes the position of rabbi. Enter the religious, verse 3. By the way, I'm going to be tough on the religious because I am one. I'm not mad at you. I'm just telling you. I've been that person and I've missed it. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Now, just by way of census here, how many men have heard this story? All right, that's a few of us, right? Should have picked a more obscure story to impress you today. You know this story, don't you? That's actually good. Jesus operating as a holy person, exemplifying the closeness to God in these two locations, is in this location, and the religious arrive. And they arrive with a woman who's been caught in adultery. That is not holy activity. So do you see already the contrast? And by the way, we should just take a moment to stop and say, man, the Bible does a great job telling stories and making points about life, doesn't it? I love the way Jordan Peterson lately has just been rolling on this. Like wherever you are in your faith journey, the Bible contains a lot of wisdom. You should probably crack it open. I agree with him. In this scene, there's a large crowd and they're there to see Jesus. Who is this man? How does he have this authority? He teaches in a way that is attractive. Pay attention to that. Not repulsive to us. It contains the truth and he delivers it in such a way that we are drawn to it. But notice who's upset by this in the story. The religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees, the ones that had attached themselves. Listen to this. They had attached themselves to the tablets and they had left their hearts behind. And they bring a woman into the scene, into the temple. Can you imagine 
What would happen in your place of worship this Sunday if a group of men drug a woman in by her hair and said, guess what we just caught her doing? It's exactly what was happening that day. Story continues. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, now, don't miss this. These men dragged this woman caught in adultery into church, and they don't even say anything to her. They start addressing Jesus. What does that tell you? She's a pawn. She matters that little. This story doesn't even give her a name. Teacher, they say, already they've missed Jesus. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? How many times in our life do we call Jesus not Lord, and that's coming later? We just call him teacher. Man, this thing's driving me crazy today. Is it bothering you? Sorry about that. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Uh, that's just biblical language for literally having sex. I mean, what kind of man do you have to be to enter into that scenario and drag a woman out of wherever that's happening, through the city streets and down to church? I don't know why we don't talk about this more. It's atrocious. Now the law Moses commanded tells us to stone such a woman. So, hey, teacher, what do you say? They said this to test him. No kidding that they might have some charge against him. So let me just do this real quickly. You guys, do you know the law that these guys were referencing? I did not, but I had some time to look it up. Would you like me to share it with you? Leviticus chapter 20. The man, oh, already, already we're in trouble. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Where's the man? Boy, that's an honest question. Now, before you get all wrapped up and like put to death, that's a pretty serious thing. During this time in the history of Israel, God was extremely concerned about the people of God separating themselves from the people of their culture. It was a really important deal to maintain purity in Israel. This is repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 22. If a young man, a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate. So we see in this story already the manipulation of the men. They were taking the law. They were taking the instructions of God and they were twisting them to their own ends. Caution. Caution, men, especially those of us that have been following God for quite some time. This apparently is a very easy trap for us to fall into, isn't it? So let me just ask this question. You guys still okay? How would our society change if just believing men refused to do this? I'm not sure where Bud Light's profits stand right now. It's, I think, 30% loss in the company. Pornhub's doing just fine. What are we most proud of these days? What would it be like if a group of men refused to manipulate the Word of God and our faith in order to meet our own desires, even if it means we have a confrontation with Jesus, we're willing to do those things? 
What if we stopped? I mean, this whole series we're talking about imagination. I just want to drop that in there. What if? What if? That's kind of tough teaching, but you get where I'm going with this, don't you? By the way, I do have to say, before I say any of this to you, I've said it to me. I know how it stings. But the men aren't the focus of this story. That's pretty fascinating. They're the ones I want to punch in the face. But they're not the focus of the story. Let's get back to Jesus. Deal? Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Lots of speculation and imagination over that, actually. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Now, can you imagine that moment where you're like taking Jesus on? He's sitting down on that posture of a rabbi, and then he stands up. Has anybody in here ever had their dad stand up on them? I could go toe-to-toe with my dad as long as he was sitting in his recliner. But when he stood up, I nearly wet myself. That's how that works. Jesus stands up. I may be making too much out of that, but it struck me. And he says to them, any of you guys that are without sin, you go ahead and you Nolan Ryan this thing. And then he just bends back down and starts writing on the ground. Like, what is this man writing on the ground? That's fascinating to me. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. You got any commentary on that? Okay. All right. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now now the story's getting serious. By the way, this is a real life day in the lives of a lot of people. It's not some little like fairy tale to teach a lesson. This woman lived this day, and Jesus too. I used to be fascinated by what Jesus was writing on the ground, but now I'm actually fascinated by his own belief in the effectiveness of his instructions. I mean, this was an angry mob, and they had this woman dead to rights. And he says, Jesus says to them, go ahead. Would you have that much confidence in that scenario? To believe that the words that you were saying were so holy and so perfect that the men in that crowd would have nothing to do but recognize their own sin and stop their agenda. That's crazy. Jesus didn't run for office. He didn't run a big campaign. He didn't raise a lot of money. He just spoke the truth, and people changed their behavior. The patience of God that this situation would be resolved in his time, confident in the effectiveness of his instruction. He breaks eye contact with everybody there and begins to do the thing that he was doing prior. This is really odd behavior, isn't it? What if you did this in some of your most stressful situations inside your job or your company? You just dropped a statement of truth and then you went back to your monitor. This is the confidence of a man who was God and also walked with God. All right, we're zooming in to the end here. Everybody good? It's a real check. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And then Jesus said, I don't either. So let's just let's stop right there for a moment. Let's pull this story out of antiquity. Let's drop it into the room. What is it inside of your heart and inside of your life where you need to be eye to eye with Jesus and you need to hear him say, I don't either. As you sit in masculine community on decks and over cups of coffee, front porches and back porches and trucks side by side going down the road. And you feel a man welcome you into his space without condemning you. And allowing that to take the next step. Jesus, do you condemn me? I don't either. How much time and how much money have you wasted in your life trying to make that stuff go away? When Jesus offers one small statement, I don't condemn you. See, Jesus dignifies her with his physical presence. Jesus does a lot of Methodists here in the story. He's up and he's down and he's up and he's down. He stands up and he looks at the men and he handles them and then he goes back to his activity. And then he stands up and he looks at the woman. Now don't let your imagination run too far in this, but this woman was caught in a particular activity. And I would imagine she was definitely in a posture of shame with no place to put her hands in this church. We kind of know emotionally what that feels like, don't we? Jesus stands up and he says, you're up here. Jesus, in that moment, wasn't concerned with consumption. He was concerned with restoration. If you want to know how much God is in a man, you'll see how he treats a woman. He looks her in the eye, refusing to consume her, refusing to take the fruit from the tree. And he engages her heart. And you know how he does that? The first thing he does is give her a voice. Where in this story has this woman spoken before then? Nowhere. Jesus, in his grounded masculinity, doesn't seek to explain the actions of other men, doesn't seek to go into a big sermon about who he is and how lucky she is that day that she was snatched out of that bed with a fake man and is now standing in the presence of a real one. He had no stage and no suit. And he gave her a voice. This isn't all about pornography, but it's interesting the parallels, right? The women that we consume on screens, they, they don't have a voice. Let's zoom in just a little bit. Some of the women that are living with us, they don't have a voice. They may have a loud voice, because they're trying to mother you because you put them in that situation. But they don't really have a voice. Jesus dignifies her with his physical posture and in standing, he dignifies her again. And in standing alone with her, contrast to the previous man who was alone with her, Jesus seeks restoration. And he gives her an opportunity to speak. So here's what happens when we start talking. How many of you in the room have been to deer camp, been sat on the deck? And <clears throat> there's, there's power in you starting to share your story. 
What do we call that here? Being known. When we start using our voice over our own story and we receive forgiveness rather than condemnation, when we receive restoration rather than consumption, it sets the experience and we keep the change. I sat on that deck a cold January day, really frustrated that all those rich men hadn't enclosed that deck and put a heater in. I wasn't impressed by that fire. It was freezing out there. All we're looking at is each other's eyeballs. I shared my story for 20 minutes, meandering around trying to figure out what to say and not really saying much. I'll tell you what, I'll never forget that day. I got a mason jar of ashes in my office from that fire because that day changed my life. I started to share my story. I put words over my experiences and it set the experience. So if we're asking a question today, how do we keep the change? How do we set the experience of Jesus in our life? We accept his invitations to start using our words. So notice what Jesus did here, the great reversal. This woman was trapped as a pawn in order to condemn the rabbi and the teacher. He leveraged that situation to use her to teach all of us a lesson, and the lesson is about grace. It's a bigger point about the kingdom. Give me two more minutes, we'll be done. See, God's grace meets us in our worst and most embarrassing moments and it gifts us with the dignity required to validate us to live according to God's standard moving forward. In our worst and most embarrassing moments, Jesus meets us eye to eye and he validates us and he gives us a job. Don't do that anymore. So we ask the question of our own lives. Where are we doing it again? We set the experience with Jesus and it allows us to say, we're not yet where we're going, but thank God we're not where we used to be. Amen? Let's pray together. God, what a story. And God, only you could use an interaction with a woman to teach a room full of men something about masculinity. So we thank you, Jesus, for the way that you handled yourself that day. And I'm crazy enough to believe that you had this morning in mind when you did it. So for those of us in the room that are trying to figure out our way forward, could you allow us, just like that woman, to know the weight of our sin, but to refuse the weight of condemnation because of your work over our lives. As these men leave this room and progress out to change the world through very mediocre means, through jobs, through family, through roles, I ask God that you would bless their efforts. And before I close out, that plan that the enemy has for them, God, I just need you to flex on that, to interrupt it supernaturally with all the resources that you have available to you, that you could protect us so that we could, God, actually make an impact in the world today in a different way than we did yesterday. Thanks for our time together. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.